0: Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit painesvilleag.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Uh, as well. Today, I just want to share on a subject that God put on my heart. I was going to go in a different direction and, uh, and, and, and uh, just decided to delay that a week and push that off as I felt uh, the Lord tug on my heart to talk about the importance of legacy, to talk about the importance of leaving a legacy uh, of faith. And uh, as, uh, as, as, as you can imagine, uh, you know, it is important, right, to, to leave behind something And uh, those deposits happen in relationships. They happen in what we leave behind through the relationships we have uh, with others. When I was thinking of of legacy, uh, there is someone, uh, a couple, that left a legacy far beyond uh, uh, anything that anyone could imagine. In the 1700s, this couple uh, lived in colonial America. Their names were Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Jonathan Edwards felt a call on his life to become a minister, and uh, he and his young bride began pastoring a small congregation. During the years that followed, he wrote sermons and prayers and books, and he became uh, very influential even in the very beginning of what was called the First Great Awakening. Together, they had 11 children who grew into adults. Sarah, his partner, was also a partner in her husband's ministry. He sought for her advice for his sermons, and in church matters, they spent time talking about these things together, and when their children were old enough, they included their children in those discussions and began to encourage their children to walk in faith. The effects of the Edwards' uh, lives was far-reaching, more measurable than anyone could imagine, and a demonstration of legacy and the faithfulness of God through their descendants. Elizabeth Dodds records a study that was done by a guy by the name of A. E. uh, Winship in 1900, in which he lists a few of the accomplishments of the uh, 1400 descendants of the Edwards. And this is what he discovered. This is what he, he found. There was 100 lawyers and one who was a dean of a law school. There were 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors of state, Three United States senators, one controller of the United States Treasury, and one vice president of the United States. What a legacy. What a legacy. And so this morning, I want to just share on this subject of leaving a legacy of faith, and I want to do so by turning to the Old Testament book of Ruth. So if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Ruth today, the book of Ruth, (coughs) and that is found in the Old Testament, and I believe that we can discover some qualities that all of us, no matter who we are, uh, can learn as to what is important to pass down to leave a legacy of faith no matter who we are. Now, the book of Ruth is set in a time period before there were kings. In fact, when we read the opening, it says that it was in the history time period of when the judges uh, ruled in Israel. It was a, a season, a very dark time for the country, as it is oftentimes described over and over again in that period, that everyone did as, as they saw fit in their own eyes. Everyone did what they, what they thought was best in their own eyes. And so sin was rampant, and people's hearts were are hardened. And Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1 opens with this. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, along with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, when you read that, it gives you some context and tells you the history, but there are also some things that you need to understand the context of the passage of Scripture to really be able to understand what is truly happening here. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. They had two sons, Malon and Killian, and, uh, and they decided that because there was a famine in Bethlehem in their own land, that they needed to move. They needed to go to a place where there was not a famine, and the land of Moab. Moab just happened to be a place that had rich soil as well, and the famine hadn't necessarily touched that area, so they decided to pick up their family and move to Moab. The problem was is that Moab was an enemy of Israel. Moab was an enemy of Israel. This was, in essence, saying, God, we, we don't see you moving. God, we don't see that, that you're, you're providing for us here, and so we can't trust you anymore, and so we're gonna, we're gonna now go over to Moab, and we're going to fend for ourselves, and, and we think we can just do better on our own over there. The problem, again, is, is that, that, that Moab, the Moabite people, were an enemy of Israel. And the people of Israel were instructed in the book of Deuteronomy not to have any kind of friendship. I know this sounds really harsh, but not to have any kind of friendship or to interact with the people of Moab. One, because they did not serve the Lord. They served other gods. They they did not serve the Lord. But beyond that, uh, there was something that had happened earlier when Israel was coming out of Egypt. They were wandering in the wilderness, and, uh, and they had asked if they could come through and just stay on the roads and travel through pass through the land of Moab and, uh, and they were unable they were not permitted to do so But beyond just not being permitted to do so, this conflict dates back to the time when there was a king in Moab whose name was Balak, and he decided that he was going to to find a prophet uh, to curse the people of Israel. And that prophet's name was Balaam. You might remember that he was the guy that had the talking donkey in the the Old Testament. Anybody remember Balaam and his talking donkey in the Old Testament? Who says the Bible is boring? Boring. When 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 his plan to have Balaam curse the people of Israel failed, Uh, He decided instead to take a different approach. And what the approach that he took was to get his young ladies in Moab to go and to begin to tempt the Israelite men into sexual immorality that then caused the judgment of God to come upon Israel because he tempted them into sin. And for that reason, Deuteronomy 23.3, this is what it says, no Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. God said, no, 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 no. It's not good. You don't, don't be friends. You don't have anything to do with these people. But Elimelech disregarded the instruction of the Lord. He disregarded God's law, and he decided to pick up his family and go where God said not to go. And during their stay in Moab, some tragic things happened. Naomi's husband Elimelech died, and then about two years later both of her sons, Malon and Killian, also died. And there she was left behind in a country that was not her own. They had given up the inheritance of of the land they had in Israel, and they had gone to Moab. There she is, left alone, with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. So not only did they move there, but he found wives for his sons there. And so now you have three widows left there. You have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And widows in the ancient world had no social status whatsoever. They did not have any means to be able to provide income for their health, their, themselves. Their husbands were a covering for them. Their families were a covering for them. And so now you have three widows who, who have no real economic means to be able to survive. And this was especially true for Naomi because she was a foreigner in the land of Moab. She was a foreigner herself. There was no social security system and and there was no way for her to be able to be provided or protected uh, against others who would want to cause harm to them. And in such a situation, this would equate to a, a bit of homelessness like we see in our society here today. And so Naomi says, you know what? I've got family, even though we were disconnected, I know I've got family back in Israel, and so I'm going to head back to Israel because I believe that I'll be more protected and provided for there than staying in this foreign land where I have absolutely no family except for these foreign daughter-in-laws. And so, she begins to make her way back home, and as she's going, she pauses, and she begins to release from any obligation her two daughter-in-laws, who were also widowed, Orpah and Ruth. And she says to them, you need to go back home. You need to go back to your people. Listen. I'm older, even if I have a son now that, that might grow up, are you gonna <coughs> excuse me, you're gonna wait on him to marry him and, and have descendants through him? And, I mean that just seems you're gonna have a better chance as as uh, uh, Moabite women, you're gonna have a better chance of being protected. Go back to your own people. Maybe you can marry again there and have a family. You're both still young. Just go back and do that. And and there's a little bit of back and forth, and finally Orpah decides she's going to do that. But Ruth takes a different approach. Ruth says, "Uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to leave you. And that's what I want to take a look at in this story is I want to take a look particularly at Ruth. Because in the midst of her own loss, in the midst of her own grief, in the midst of her own pain... She makes some decisions, and those decisions that she makes lead to a legacy that follows her own life, that leads to a, a, a legacy uh, behind. Her choice is to leave a legacy of faith behind. And so today, I want to take a look at these principles drawing from Ruth's life uh, as a woman, as a mother, that are applicable to everybody We're going to find five qualities that are worth passing on to the next generation. Five qualities that are worth passing on today. Number one is this. It's honor. Honor. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. And both Ruth and her sister showed great honor to Naomi. Again, following the deaths of their their husbands, the, the testimony here out of Naomi's own mouth is that they showed her kindness and honor. They stuck with her and they honored her. Their initial willingness to even follow her back to her own land showed a sense of honor. They were willing to honor her. Honor means to assign value means precious or weighty like gold. It's to esteem or show appreciation. It it, it is to give regard or, or show favor and respect. Both Ruth and Orpah both treated Naomi with honor by staying with her and caring for her even as their own husbands passed away. They stayed with her after her husband had passed away while they were still with their sons, uh, her sons that were both sickly, their husbands. And then when they passed away, there was no obligation for them to stay, but they did and they treated her with honor. Honor is one of those virtues that is lost in our society today. But yet we are encouraged in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3 when it says this, honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Honoring our parents, folks, is not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. And I know that's difficult today because we want to find all the reasons why. Maybe our parents don't deserve honor. Maybe things have happened, and I understand that it's not always a great situation, and that sometimes family situations are complicated and difficult. Nevertheless, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to honor and show honor to our father and mother. The legacy that Ruth leaves behind is a decision to honor her mother-in-law, Naomi. It wasn't even her own biological mother, but her mother-in-law. And at first glance, it doesn't seem too difficult. But when you consider the context or the circumstances, the fact that she was grieving herself, that she had experienced loss herself, you see the tremendous impact that the honor then had when she began to honor her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth 119 tells us that when Naomi did return to Bethlehem, the people there could hardly recognize her. As she came back, the people looked at her and they said, Is, can this be Naomi? Is this really Naomi? And uh, to which she responds in verse 20, don't call me Naomi. Instead, she says, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. In other words, Naomi was saying, Listen, there has been some loss that has happened. I've lost my husband. I have lost my two sons. I'm not too happy with the Lord. (laughs) I haven't seen where he's protected. I haven't seen where he's come. She's struggling, and she calls herself bitter. She says, I am a very bitter person. Have you ever been around somebody that's bitter? It's difficult to be around bitter people, isn't it? People who have been wounded and hurt, who oftentimes then hurt others, who then express hurt, who react in ways that, that make it very difficult to move in and to love them and to care for them uh, in those ways. When someone is bitter, it is very hard to be around someone like that. And yet, you have Naomi who is willing to honor her mother-in-law even when her mother-in-law expresses the fact that she's bitter. That shows honor. When you're willing to stick with someone. And in fact, this first step of 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 showing honor and a legacy that is left behind. We see it later on in one of Naomi's descendants, her great grandson, whose name is David. He refused to allow bitterness to enter in even to his own life when his father-in-law, who was the king at the time, King Saul, began to threaten his life and was jealous of him and began to make life very difficult even when he didn't deserve. David did not in return show dishonor to King Saul. In fact, he modeled honor even to a king that was unjust. And what we see is is that Ruth, through her life, through her commitment and her honor to her mother-in-law, Naomi, began to pass down an example from generation after generation of what it's like to show honor even to people who are bitter in our lives. Perhaps someone that you love oftentimes becomes very hurtful. Maybe they are bitter, and it is difficult to show them honor. I want to encourage you today that if you will act in the way that the Bible says to act, if you will treat in the way that the Bible says to treat, you will pass down a legacy to others who are watching your example. Second character quality worth passing on that we see in Ruth's life is loyalty. It's loyalty, loyalty. And uh, again, from the very beginning of the story, we find a woman who refuses to abandon uh, her mother-in-law. And when the journey began, and, and they began, uh, Naomi began to head for home, both of her daughter-in-laws were, were following, and she stopped, and she says, you know what? I'm releasing you from these obligations. You are young ladies. If you go back to Israel with me, the chances are you're not going to ever find a husband. You're going to be left alone. Then when I die, you're going to be left alone in a foreign country. It's just going to be a mess. You know what? You need to just go back and be with your people. You're still young. You still got time left. You, you still have the opportunity. Perhaps among your own people, somebody will take you in. They will protect you. You got a better opportunity there. And, 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 and she wants to bless them. She's not uh, unhappy with them. This is out of love. This, this shows that Naomi may be not as bitter as she thinks she is. Because she's willing to, 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 to give her daughter-in-laws an opportunity here. And the story tells us that Orpah, one of her daughter-in-laws, does return home, but Ruth clung to Naomi, and there's a powerful imagery that is here. She clung to her, and she would not let go. In verses 16 and 17, she pledges her allegiance and her devotion to her mother-in-law when she says this, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you, for where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. We're really not told why Ruth does this. Perhaps she knew that Naomi was, was getting older. Uh, perhaps she just had a heart to take care of her mother-in-law when no one else would do it, maybe to provide and help provide. She thought, I have enough strength, I can help provide for her basic needs, or, or, or those things. She knew her mother-in-law was perhaps too old to remarry. And she just decided that she was going to be committed. Through thick and through thin, I'm going to be loyal to you. Through thick and through thin, I'm clinging, and I'm staying with you. I am not leaving you, even though my husband has also passed away, even though we're going to a land I do not know, and a foreign people that oftentimes treat me and my people as an enemy. You know what? I am committed to you. I am loyal to you. We live in a culture that uh, is more self-centered than it is loyal. In fact, oftentimes, relationships are more transactional, meaning that I am with you as long as it benefits me, and the moment that I don't find enough benefit for me, I move on. But that's not loyalty. Loyalty is not a transactional type of relationship. And the relationship that is forged is not forged on, the, on, 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 on convenience, but, uh, but a loyalty that goes beyond that, and that is what we see in Ruth, the character quality that she then again, as we look ahead to her great-grandson David, that she passed on to him. Ahimelech, who was one of the priests later on when, when David and Saul were around. Saul was, uh, again, jealous of David. And here's Ahimelech's testimony concerning David to Saul when he was jealous of him. 1 Samuel twenty two fourteen. 14, Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal, there's the word, loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household. David had proven himself over and over again because of the honor that he showed uh, his, his father-in-law. Because of that honor, he had also demonstrated a loyalty to his father-in-law who was then jealous of him. And this is the kind of quality that we see in Naomi and that we see in a legacy that she left behind. That when her mother-in-law who says, I am bitter, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara for I am bitter. And even in the midst of the bitterness, she claims to her and said, no, 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 no. I am going to be loyal, and I'm going to go with you, and where you go, I will go, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. That is loyalty. That's loyalty. For both men and women, we need to consider the example of Ruth showing a commitment of loyalty in our marriages, in our families, and in our friendships. Loyalty is a trait that doesn't end when things get difficult. In fact, that's when it's truly demonstrated the most is in the midst of times when it gets difficult, in the midst of times when, when it's hard. That's, that's when loyalty shows up, when we're willing to be loyal and committed to the people that we love, even when everybody else wants to walk away. That's loyalty. And loyalty will lead to a good reputation. Third characteristic worth passing on is love. Ruth never stopped loving. In Ruth 1.8, again, I want to go back to that. Uh, This is what Naomi says to her daughters-in-law. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. Uh, Dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord deal kindly with you. And, And what she's saying is, may the Lord deal with you as you've dealt with me. And what's interesting here is the word kindly that we have gets lost in the English translation. The Hebrew word is the word "kased," or oftentimes translated "hesed," without the C. And it's repeated over, in the, over and over again in the Old Testament. And what it pictures is, it pictures God's covenantal love towards us. It's God's covenantal promise love. It's an unconditional love. It's not just I'm being nice to you. It is I am loving you with unconditional love. Even when I love you and you don't necessarily love me back, I'm committed and promised to loving you anyway. And she says, listen, you have treated me that way, and I pray the Lord will continue to treat you as you have treated me. In other words, in the midst of my grief, I haven't always been the nicest person to be around. I haven't always been the easiest person to get along with. And you know, in the midst of my grief, I haven't. But you, you stayed with me. You were kind to me. You loved me through it. You were committed to me. You had a covenantal love to me, and I pray that the Lord will have that same love love towards you. you. See God entered into a covenant relationship with the Hebrew people and the covenant was both sides agreed to the terms of the covenant. Usually when you make a covenant, there are two parties and both enter in to that covenant relationship. And then when, when, when one doesn't uphold their end of the covenant, the other oftentimes is released from their end of the covenant and typical covenants. But that's not the same. That's not the same as the covenant relationship with God. When God makes a covenant with his people, we are told that it is, un, it is unconditional and it is unmerited. We say the same word translated as mercy in Psalm 23, 6. Where the psalmist says, surely goodness and mercy, that's the same word, Kased, that unconditional promised love all the days of my life. In other words, even when we fail, God continues to love us. When we are faithless, he is faithful. He is faithful, as we read earlier uh, this morning about his faithful and steadfast love for us. That's the word that's used to describe Ruth and Orpah's love and kindness for their families and for Naomi. On August 6, 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed just after taking off from the Detroit airport, killing 155 people. There was one survivor of that plane crash. It was a four-year-old little girl from Tempe, Arizona, whose name was Cecilia News accounts when the rescuers had found Cecilia did not even believe at first that she was on the plane. Investigators, in fact, first assumed that Cecilia had been a passenger in one of the cars on the highway to which the airliner had tried to land and crashed. But when the passenger registry was looked up and checked, there was Cecilia's name. How did Cecilia this little four-year-old girl survived this plane crash when everyone else on the plane had perished. How did she survive? Well, it was because of her mother, Paula who at the moment when the plane started to go down, did what you're not supposed to do. She unbuckled her seatbelt, she got down on her knees in front of her daughter, she wrapped her arms and her body around her daughter, Cecilia, and she would not let her go even to the very end. Nothing could separate that child from her mother's love, and her mother saved her life because of her incredible wrapped around loving kindness that held her and protected her from from the danger. Friends, that's that's God's love towards us. That's God's love towards us. God's unconditional love towards us wraps, we are wrapped around His love. We are, we are wrapped around and nothing can separate us from His love. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. Paul wrote this, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. Love and kindness. And love is something that is worth passing down. Leaving a legacy of love is worth passing down to those that we love. Number four is Selfless selfless. You see, Ruth never thought about herself. At the cost of herself, at the cost of of being what was familiar, they were in the land of Moab. That's where she was from, was the land of Moab. That was what was familiar to her. That was the place where she was most comfortable. But she was willing to leave behind where she was most comfortable. She was willing to leave behind her comforts and the familiarity to follow her mother-in-law and go to a place that she did not know and trust. And we see over and over and over and over again in her life that she was a selfless person. In fact, she went to a land where she could face persecution. But when she arrived in Bethlehem, she didn't just sit back. You know what she did? She went to work. She got out in the field, and she decided that she was going to go out into a place. She was going to find a field. She was going to gather all the things that she could gather from those that the harvesters had left behind. And, and even if that meant a little bit of persecution or uncomfortableness or hard work, it didn't matter. She was going to provide for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And we see over and over and over again, even when there was risk even to going into those fields, a selfless love on behalf of Ruth. This is what Ruth 2.9 says. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. As she was there, this is, what, this is what Boaz, who was the owner of the field, he began to protect her. As she, at the risk of danger, took a step of faith, selfless faith, and began to step out, she found God's favor in her life. And she reported that favor back to Naomi, and Naomi gave Ruth this advice. She said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the girls, (coughs) because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. That's the risk that she was taking. But she had found favor with this landowner by the name of Boaz. She found protection. And as a foreigner, even with great risk and danger, she was selfless in in how she treated her mother-in-law. She was selfless in how she acted. And, and Ruth seemed to be confused. Why am I being shown so much favor? Why was Boaz being nice to her? Well, this is what verse 11 says, Ruth two eleven. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. her her selfless reputation had been talked about. Even among people in a foreign land, even among the Israelites, her reputation of giving of herself and being a selfless person had been reported and became a testimony. The way that she had acted and and, and demonstrated her honor and her loyalty and her selfless actions to her mother-in-law, now, as a result of that, she was receiving God's protection and God's favor and God's blessing. In fact, one of the qualities of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is not self-seeking. Ruth demonstrated love for Naomi through her selfless actions. Last of all, respected. Respected. Ruth left a legacy of selflessness, and she was respected because of it. The fifth characteristic is that we see that Ruth displayed to Naomi all of the love and the honor and everything led up to a reputation in which she was respected. She was a despised foreigner when she arrived. But through her actions of loyalty and love and selfless hard work, her reputation changed in the community. It changed in the community. Now she was recognized as someone who had the favor of the Lord and the grace upon her. And as the Lord guided her, he guided her to the field of one of the kinsmen redeemers at that time. Again, it was custom through Leverite law in the Bible that if a man died, a close relative of his, preferably a brother, would marry the widow of the firstborn child and would be considered uh, the heir of the dead man to carry on his family name. He was called a kinsman redeemer. Not only would he redeem the inheritance that was his family's inheritance that was to be passed down in this promised land and that land that would be passed down, but also it was also to provide an heir, a child, a legacy behind, and so he would marry uh, the, the dead man's wife, whether it was his brother or close family member, and together then he would redeem that land, redeem that inheritance, and carry on that family name. Well, you have this, you, you, Elimelech, he, he all but snuffed himself out when he decided to move his family to Moab and allow his sons to marry Moabite women, and then they died. There was no one to carry on the legacy, and, 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 and Ruth is a Moabite. Who is going to marry Ruth? But because of her honor, because of her loyalty, because of her selflessness, Because of her loving kindness to her mother-in-law, God showed favor to her and led her to the field of Boaz, who happened to be a close family redeemer. And and Naomi recognizes this, and so she does something that just is also very risky. She sends Ruth to the the place that was the threshing floor. It It was the place where at the harvest time, they would begin to get the wheat ready for harvest. And she says, you go and wait, and you see where Boaz lays down, and then I want you to go and lay down at his feet and uncover his feet. And that was something that was equal to a marriage proposal. That's an incredible risk, isn't it? And Ruth uh, 311 tells us what happened. This is what, this is what uh, Naomi says, in, in, or this is what Boaz says in response, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask, and my fellow townsmen will know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz accepts. The problem is he's not the first in the line of redeemers. He's not the first in the line of redeemers, and yet God continues to take care of him, and he continues to to go after to to say to the other kinsman redeemer, do you want to redeem the land? He says, I do. And he said, well, then you got to redeem Ruth the the Moabitess as well. And he said, no, 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 that'll put my inheritance at risk. I'm, I'm not willing to do that. But Boaz was willing, and as the matter was settled, Boaz marries Ruth, and Ruth gets pregnant, and they give birth to a son, and Naomi now is presented with this heir, and the bitterness that she faced when she had come back had now been redeemed and healed because of the faithful love of her daughter-in-law that had shown to her. Ruth's son is born And the women of the community visiting Naomi, listen to what they say. Listen to their praise, and and it demonstrates praise to the Lord. It also demonstrates respect that that Ruth had earned. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than than seven sons has given him birth. Do you see the significance of that statement? In ancient culture, the worth of a woman was not oftentimes valued. It was not something that was oftentimes seen as a value. Sons were more valuable. But the ladies here, as they began to to look at everything that God had done, and they look at the reputation of Ruth, and and they see this, say, you know what? Ruth is better to you than having seven sons. She's better than having seven sons. That is respect through her loyalty and honor and by her love and selflessness, Ruth gained the respect of those around her. Ruth was a woman of tremendous character and she left a tremendous legacy of faith for her family. Worship team, will you come? The qualities that she shared in her life began with a commitment. A commitment that went above and beyond just her commitment to Naomi, but it really began because Ruth made a commitment to God. She made an important statement. We read it earlier, and I want to go back to it in honor to her, mother, her mother-in-law, Naomi, and following her back to Bethlehem. She made this statement, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. And then here it is, your people will be my people, and your God, my God Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. The commitment that she made to her mother-in-law was also tied to, first and foremost, a commitment that she made to God. A commitment that she made to God to put herself under his authority, and as she put herself under his authority, she began to see that he gave her the ability to show honor to her mother-in-law, to show loyalty to her mother-in-law, to show loving kindness to her mother-in-law, to act in ways that were selfless to her mother-in-law. And as a result of that, she became a woman of character that literally she passed down that heritage to those in her family that followed. She showed what it means To be a woman of character and of love and a woman who loves the Lord. So whether you're a man or a woman this morning, whether you're a mother or a father or a son or a daughter, we can learn from Ruth's example on how to leave a lasting legacy of faith. Ruth showed honor and she showed loyalty and she showed love and selflessness in the midst of horrific circumstances. No one would have faulted Ruth herself if she had become bitter because of the circumstances that she found herself in. No one would have faulted her if she would have taken Naomi's release from the obligation and just gone back home to her own people. But God blessed her commitment. God blessed her commitment to Him. And God blessed her faithfulness and her honor and her loyalty and her love and her selflessness. And as a result of that, she left a marvelous legacy of faith. In fact, not only was she given the honor of being the great grandmother of the King of Israel who God made a covenant with, David, but if you look at Matthew chapter 1 and you begin to read through the genealogy of our Savior Jesus Christ, there in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 is her name, one of only two Gentile women that are found in that list. One of only two non-Jewish, Gentile women who were found in the genealogy of Jesus, our Savior. Why? Because she committed herself to the Lord. And she learned how to, to be a woman who, who showed honor, who showed loyalty, who showed loving kindness, and who was willing to be selfless in her life. She was respected, and she passed down that legacy to the next generation. We have a responsibility to leave a legacy behind. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Are you a person of honor? Are you a person that is committed and loyal? Are you a a person that demonstrates unconditional loving kindness to those around you? Are you selfish or selfless? What's the reputation that you have that you're leaving behind and passing on to the next generation? I want us to bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts as we close our service this morning. Let's make a commitment first and foremost to Jesus this morning, committing our lives to Him and then again saying, Lord, will you develop these qualities in us that we might leave a legacy behind. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for the example that we see in Ruth. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, would begin to develop in us the character qualities that you desire. Lord, that we would be a people that honor one another, that esteem one another, that value one another, that we would be a people that demonstrate loyalty and commitment. That, Lord, we would be a people that demonstrate loving kindness, unconditional loving kindness as you demonstrate to us that we would act in selfless ways, not selfish ways. That you would just cultivate in us, Lord, these qualities as we commit ourselves to you. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.